Ladies and gentlemen, this is the 411 from 406. My name is Chewy, and I'm joined once again by my brother from another mother, Mr. Pip. How are you, sir? Uh, once again, I'm excited to be here. I think this is going to be super fun. I can't wait to uh, talk to you again tonight, and I'm I'm just I'm glad to be a part of this podcast for sure. So the so the last time we got together, we which was March the 27th not to pull back the curtain too much, but today is April the 21st as we record this. So we Mm -hmm. are, we're still sticking to at least (laughs) less than once a month, which is good. You know, not, not as often as we would like, but, uh, but we're making progress. We're we're doing good. So, so our last podcast, we talked about our favorite WrestleMania matches of all time. And that of course was the lead in to this year's WrestleMania where uh, unfortunately you were not able to join me, but we uh, we chatted a lot. We uh, we texted a lot. I still built a pyramid. I think and I think everybody. I think you still watched the show, even though we were on vacation. Correct? Yeah, we did. We were down in Florida with my family, and it was a really sort of unique experience because I had to kind of set the stage that we were going to watch that I was going to watch WrestleMania because that was really important to me. And of course, this year, much like the two or so years previous, it was a two night event. So I had to kind of set the stage like Saturday night, I'm going to be watching WrestleMania and and the same with Sunday. And Saturday night, I think was the first night that we were there actually in spring break. So everyone was kind of tired and a little wiped out from the travel. So um, they were all kind of hanging around. And my two girls have taken a bit of a shine to wrestling, especially my youngest. And so they actually watched WrestleMania with me, at least a couple matches. And my youngest has become a very big Bianca Belair fan. And she wants to go as Bianca for Halloween. And they were really excited to see her take the title off of Becky. And I mean, it was just the show itself was fantastic. And we can talk a little bit about that from a spectator standpoint. But just the fact that my wife and my two girls were sitting on the couch right beside me watching this. I, it just made it so much more fun. And I loved it. It was great. That, that's awesome. I, I, I'm glad, I'm glad that you got to experience that with you, your girls. You know, I, I mean, as we've chronicled many times on this podcast, I mean, I've been, I've been watching professional wrestling for God, the, the better part of 40 years now, Yeah, not quite that long, but the, but the better part of 40 years. And, and I could still remember sitting down and watching, you know, old school superstars or whatever, whatever it was called with my grandfather on a Saturday morning. And my grandpa thought that shit was real. I mean, he was, he was all in (laughs) and, and, and I just, I just have such really warm memories. And and now my boys watch it with me. And, and, um, and it was certainly a bummer that, that you weren't, uh, that you weren't in Cleveland, but I was glad that we were able to kind of share some texts and, you know, we were certainly chatting back and forth and, 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 oh, by the way, you, sir, are now the proud recipient, the owner of the John Cena WrestleMania trophy. Congratulations, sir. Oh, my gosh. It has been a long time coming, and I'm very excited. Uh, it's been, you know, all I've thought about since we, you know, intoxicatingly 
purchased that John Cena trophy at uh, Target a handful of years ago on a WrestleMania weekend. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I was a little bitter that I've lost it. Yeah, I've lost the opportunity the last couple of years because I came really close, but I was very excited that this year I finally won the confidence pool and John Cena is coming to Indiana well, at some point somehow, but just to see my name embroidered on his chest for lack of a better term is, uh, is pretty awesome. So I was really excited about that. I was happy that I think night one of two, I picked all of them, but one correctly or all of them? No, I think you had a, I think you had a perfect night the first night. First night. I think I had a perfect night. And the only reason I did, I think is because the one match, one of those matches got bumped, but I ended up finishing pretty strong and I was really excited, but much like years past, this this confidence bowl came down to the wire, right? Like it was down to came, uh, came down to the final match. Yeah. yeah, came down to the final match, which was really exciting and really fun, even though I couldn't be there, which I was broken hearted about. Like it still made the experience really, really fun. Yeah, I was I was pumped. Yeah. My, so my brother was here. My kids were, you know, my, my oldest two boys watched it with me. And again, Pip and I were kind of were texting back and forth and I was and I was super excited. I remember, in fact, I uh, right after the show was over, I went and I recorded a video and I sent it to him. And I think I put it on TikTok <laughs> even. And it, it was, was just great. it was it was me kind of tattooing the 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 chest of John Cena with with Pip's uh, 2022 victory. So I will um, I will I will either get that in the get him in the mail to you or if we can figure out a time where you can come here and you can pick him up in person, we can do that as well. That's what I would very much prefer. So I'm, I've been scouring the calendar to try to find a weekend that I might be able to come out and visit sometime this summer, in which case I can claim my trophy in person and uh, obviously get an opportunity to spend some time with you out there. So, yeah. So, so we're, so we're not talking WrestleMania tonight, but just give, give me 30 seconds. Did, did you enjoy, and we, we won't go through every match or anything like that, but just, did you enjoy WrestleMania? weekend th- this year i gotta be honest i loved it i thought it was great i mean it was obviously disappointing that we couldn't share this in person but i can say from a spectator it was so much fun i mean if you don't get too wrapped up into the weeds of being a huge wrestling fan and you just sort of let the moments happen and enjoy them whether it's stone cold and the pat McAfee match and even the celebrity matches from my perspective, we're fun. And those are typically the ones I hate on the most because I don't believe that celebrities should be in a wrestling ring. But this year, for some reason, it just felt lighter and it felt more acceptable to really just sit back and enjoy the spectacle that is WrestleMania. And I feel like they pulled out all the stops everywhere they possibly could have. And for that, I was I was grateful and I thought it was a really fun show. But what say you? Yeah, I, I I could not agree with you more. I, I you know I have I have been kind of pretty outwardly or I've been vocally opposed to the two night WrestleMania for a variety of reasons. Um, I think part of it is because I'm getting older and I, I just can't I can't go the same way that I used to. And 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 two nights, two full nights of, you know, it's essentially back to back pay per view nights is mm-hmm. can be a little bit long. That being said, th- this year didn't feel like that. No. I mean, it was Saturday night. I think was if if I'm if I'm kind of grading them, uh, you know, as a pay per view in and of themselves. I think Saturday night was probably the stronger of the two overall. Yeah, for sure. But but I mean, but Sunday night was amazing too. I mean, 
you know, I, I was a little bit concerned when we got when we got the announcement that Stone Cold Steve Austin was was going to quote unquote main event against Kevin Owens on night one, and it was going to be essentially a you know a talk show, the, you know the Kevin Owens show. Which, by the way, we you know, we were. I mean, I'm not going to say that I called it because I didn't call it, but I remember I listened to our last podcast and we're like this this doesn't feel right like you can't main right. event with a talk show like something has to happen and they and they sure as hell didn't they went 15 or 20 minutes and they had a legit match and yes. it was not just a stunner stunner beer fest it was a legit match where I mean, yeah, Steve Austin wasn't the, the Austin of the 90s, but you know what? He was taking suplexes outside the ring on the concrete, and it was it mind was blowing. Amazing. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it right now. It was it was awesome. I it was, was a fantastic. Great way to, yeah. And then they did finish with the stunner, stunner beer drinking thing. Yes, and and that was course. that was great. It was beautiful. It was like the ultimate fan service match for people who love stone cold and God bless him. Go into the sunset. Don't ever come back. That's totally fine. I don't know what it took to get him there because they've been trying to do it for many years, but I'm glad they did it. I'm glad that uh, Kevin Owens was a part of it because I'm a big fan of what he's doing these days. And yeah, I, I thought that that was great. It was so much fun. I, I agree. And then, and then they just kind of continued the fun factor the next night. And again, I, I, there's there's a ton of highlights, but I'm going to come back again to Austin because you've got Pat McAfee versus Austin Theory. McAfee comes out that he wrestles a legit match. I mean, decent. McAfee super clearly, decent. Yeah. You know, clearly is an athlete. Right. He was a professional professional football player. He comes out and he, he's got a match with Austin Theory. And then he has a match with Vince McMahon, of all people. <laughs> and then, you know what? they? And I guess if I would have really thought about it, I kind of would have figured it out. But they bring Austin out again of course. for the Sunday night crowd. Yep. And he gets that interaction with, with Mr. McMahon. Of course, he takes the worst stunner in fucking history. Oh, it was so the, bad. <laughs> I mean, it was so bad. But here's the thing. McAfee then drinks beers with him after the match. And he takes a stunner, which after the facts, fine, I find out he didn't know that was coming that was all oh, that's bullshit. well that's what i don't said buy on the that podcast. Yeah. i don't buy that for a second you don't get in the ring with stone cold steve austin at wrestlemania and not get a stunner. and not like, expect a stunner okay that's it's true. not i call complete bullshit yeah. on that but i will say kudos to pat mcafee i love pat mcafee he's, oh, he's a little amazing. crazy and over the top as an announcer but i just i i love the guy so much and i think it's so cool that he had this, I mean, talk about a WrestleMania moment, right? Like he grew up a huge fan of wrestling. He gets into WrestleMania. He actually gets to wrestle a match. He wins a match at WrestleMania. He goes against Vince McMahon at WrestleMania. And then he ends that experience with getting stunned by Stone Cold. I mean, if there could be a bigger dream come true. I can't imagine what it would be. And then the scene where he's, he's like half cocked and knocked out and he's drinking beer. He's just pouring it in his mouth. Like it was the dumbest thing in the world, but it was also like just the fist pumpingly awesomest thing I have ever seen at WrestleMania. It was beautiful. Yeah, I, I agree. It was it was just it was a fun night all around. Again, we're, we're not going to go through and kind of review every match or what have you. There was a there was some down stuff, too. But but I think overall it was a it was a super, super fun weekend. And yes. I'm, I was um, and I was I, I just I couldn't have been happier in general. All right. So but we are not here to we talk are about not that. here to talk wrestling. Unfortunately, WrestleMania season is behind us. And that means we've got other stuff on the 411 to talk about. 
And, you know, this, this is something that we've been teasing. I think it's probably fair to say we, I know we mentioned it. We mentioned it on a previous podcast. I don't remember exactly which number, but we're, we're doing another deep dive tonight. And I absolutely love these. I enjoy the, the last time, the last couple of times we've done these, they've gone several hours. So I don't know how long we're going to, going to go tonight. <laughs> Might have to do but, some editing uh, tonight, but we're, but we're going to sit down tonight and we're going to go, we're going to start the star Wars prequel trilogy. And we're going to start with 1999's The Phantom Menace. Wow. That's going to be good. I think it's yeah. going to be really good. I'm, I'm excited about this because we've got our sea legs underneath us as far as the deep dive thing goes. And I mean, let's be honest, we've been wanting to talk about this prequel trilogy for yeah. a long time now, right? We, yeah, we have. So, so, we, we, so our first kind of Star Wars deep dive, if you want to go back in the archives, we started on episode 47 of this podcast. We, we, we released it kind of early May 2021. We started with The Force Awakens, and then we came back with The Last Jedi in episode 48 and The Rise of Skywalker in episode 49. And I, and I think I have had quite a bit of feedback from people that, that really aren't even necessarily regular listeners, but have listened to those three episodes of the podcast and kind of really enjoyed the format that we went through. So I think it's fair to say we're going to kind of go back to that same format, really kind of, really kind of understand what those movies meant to us then what they mean to us now. I don't know about you, but I, I went back in preparation for this and I rewatched the Phantom Menace. Did you? Good. And I, I did. I did. And, and yeah, I, I've got some, I have some different thoughts now that certainly that I did in 1999. I'm excited about this conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it for sure. I think this will be really interesting because you and I talked about doing this, but we have not talked about what our thoughts are since we have both respectively rewatched these movies. So it'll be interesting to see kind of you know, I, I think we both know where we were on how we felt about this movie, but it'll be interesting by the end of this podcast to feel out where we are as far as like, do we feel like these movies were well made? Do we feel like it was worth our time? You know, and, you know, this is the first of three. I mean, obviously, this is the Phantom Menace. This is episode one in honor of the Obi-Wan Kenobi show that's getting ready to come out on May 27th, I believe it is. That sounds right. Yeah. Which, by the way... Obi-Wan Kenobi and Stranger Things season four coming out the same day. Like, are they really doing that? Clearly I'm take, well, they're not doing so Netflix is doing Stranger Things. Oh, that's right. Okay. And Disney is doing Obi-Wan and I am not working that day. I'm going to have (laughs) to take that day off because that's just how it's going to have to be. But in honor of this Obi-Wan series that's coming out, which I think we're both legitimately excited about. We both, I think, agree without any spoilers that Ewan McGregor was one of the greatest things that happened as part of the original trilogy. I'm really excited to see that story continue and what that means. Like what what happened to Obi-Wan Kenobi while he was babysitting Luke from a distance? All right. So so here we go. So uh, so The Phantom Menace, it was released on May 19th, 1999. It was uh, roughly 16 years or so since the end of return of the jedi in 1983 and there there was a really long period of time where we we didn't expect any more star wars oh, right no. like we just we we thought star wars was done you know the you know the vader gets burned and the emperor's dead and boom we're done there there was there was no star wars and so so i can remember very vividly you know and, and even for years kind of prior to 
the Phantom Menace even being officially announced, there was always whispers of, oh, well, Lucas, Lucas has this whole other story. And, and George Lucas got the, you know, this whole other, you know, it was really a nine part story. And really, oh, whatever, fuck that. You know, that's bullshit. And, and sure enough, it, it came to fruition. Yeah. And so so this this one was once again written and directed by George Lucas. It was produced by Rick McCallum, who Star Wars fans know that name as well. Stars Liam Neeson, Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman, Jake Lord, Ahmed Best, Ian McDermott, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, Frank Oz. It's got the music by John Williams. And, and most of those names today, as I read them, are household names, but they really weren't in 1999. You know what I mean? Like yeah. with, with the exception of, you know, Frank Oz, I mean, Natalie Ish. Portman, you know, Liam, Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson was known. Ahmed Best certainly wasn't known. Anthony nope. Daniels and Kenny Baker for sure. Right. But I mean, the, you know, they, they weren't the names that they are today, I guess is my point. But if you go back to Star Wars, right, those were at that time unknown actors, right? Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford. You, yeah. you, you just Terry didn't Fisher, know. Them, all right? of them. Now, obviously, that was, you know, Star Wars is a is not really a comparable because it was the first of the thing. But but I, I just remember how excited I was when I saw that original teaser trailer yes for the phantom menace oh my god and and if i remember and i'm getting goosebumps just just thinking about it now because if you remember it there was there was i believe there were maybe naboo fighters walking out of the mist yes and it had something about the the legend was born or the legend or whatever it was yes and good god that teaser trailer i'm looking at man i'm getting legit goosebumps yeah Yeah, that (laughs) first teaser trailer was amazing because it was the first like legit Star Wars that we had had in 16 years. And I, I, I could, I can't even begin to tell you how hyped I was for this movie months and months and months before it came out. Oh my gosh. Yeah, for sure. I'm trying to remember back to when I first learned that there was going to be another Star Wars series. And I honestly can't remember that. And we have to consider that this was a time when the internet was still in its infancy, right? So this is late 90s. So we didn't have, I mean, maybe we had YouTube, but if we did, we didn't know about it. Like it wasn't the mega conglomerate that it is right now. And so I don't remember how we found out, but I do very specifically have a memory of being in the basement at 406 North Lane and being on Buford's computer and watching that trailer over and over and over and how incredibly jazzed I was when that music hits, like when John Williams music hits in that trailer. And I just remember thinking, oh my God, like I never thought in my life this would happen again. And I was very, very excited about it. And I feel like I probably saved that trailer to a floppy disk uh, because that's what we had back then. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was mind blowing. It was the idea of taking modern technology and using it to make a new Star Wars movie was incredibly exciting. Yeah, it was. And and I mean, and, and we'll certainly talk about kind of how how successful or unsuccessful that new that new technology was as we as we went through. Um, so I'm just I'm just kind of looking at Wikipedia here. So Lucas began writing the Phantom Menace in 1993, right? So which is before we graduated from high school, and production began in 1994 which depending on the specific month was when we were, you know, freshmen in in college filming started in June 26, 1997. 
we're kind of halfway through college or what have you. But again, I mean, I, I, I wish I could go back and figure out kind of specifically when that trailer dropped, because I, you're right. I mean, the, the Internet was in its infancy. And I'm sure we, you know, we saw it on YouTube or we saw it in front of another you know, in front of another movie. In fact, I remember there was a bunch of people that like whatever movie it was in front of, I don't remember which one, there was a bunch of people that went to the movie and then just fucking left after the trailers. Absolutely. Paid a ticket, paid a ticket to go see whatever it was and then just left before we kind of get into plot and what happens and those kind of things. So again, this was filmed on location once again in England. It was filmed once again in the Tunisian desert for the Tatooine scenes, which I thought was really cool that they kind of went back to, you know, I don't know about you, but I I don't know that I would necessarily know the difference between desert A and desert B, but I, I do think it's really kind of cool that they, that they went back to the same desert, you know, to represent the same planets. It is the highest grossing film of 1999 at the time. It was the number two grossing film of all time behind only Titanic it had quote unquote only a budget of $115 million and it made $1.027 billion. Which in 1999 wasn't too shabby. It's yeah. I mean, again, by today's standards, I don't want to say a billion dollars is not nothing, but there's, you know, there's a lot of movies out there that make a billion dollars, but you're right. Back then there was only two. It was this one and Titanic. Yep. In fact, I look today, even still today, it's 43rd all time. And then includes all those Marvel movies, all the subsequent Disney Star Wars films, all that stuff. 43 from a 1999 film is still pretty fucking good, if you ask me. Oh, absolutely. This, 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 was, this was a Titanic success at the box office, for sure. No pun intended. And maybe the most impressive statistic out of all of that, it is the movie that I have seen the most in the theaters in my entire life. Is, th- is that right? And I'm not sure that I'm proud of that. But that will show you how hungry I was for new Star Wars content. I've seen this movie five times in the theaters, and I'm pretty sure all five of those times happened in the first week and a half that it came out. Because this was one of those movies that I believe came out on a Wednesday night back when they were releasing movies like like, midweek. yeah, like a kind of mid- midnight Wednesday kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, I think it was to bolster the, you know, the overall weekend box office statistics. And I saw it three times an opening weekend from the Wednesday that it came out to the Sunday that it ended. And then twice more that following week. And I haven't seen it in a theater since, but, you know, it's, it's not a, a particularly proud achievement of mine, but still it's, it's pretty crazy. So, so let's let's get into it. You're gonna you're gonna kind of walk us through a uh, you, you're gonna go the the same kind of plot summary type uh, methodology that you did for the, the the first three. Absolutely, I've got my awesome. notes here, and I'm gonna walk through. I'm gonna start us off in a place where I didn't start us off before. I'm actually gonna read the opening crawl because I feel like it's important to talk about how this thing starts because it's going to start very differently than I think a lot of us expected. So the opening crawl starts as uh, as such. So turmoil has engulfed the Galactic Republic. The taxation of trade routes to outlying star systems is in dispute. And, and immediately... You can't even do it. I, I, it's, it's hard to even get through because, you know, I didn't care when I saw this movie, but I'm reading this through and I'm like, okay, this sounds like a really fucking boring movie, but all right, let, let's just keep going. Hoping to resolve the matter with a placard of deadly battleships, the Greedy Trade Federation has stopped all shipping to the small planet of Naboo. 
While the Congress of the Republic endlessly debates this alarming chain of events, the Supreme Chancellor has secretly dispatched two Jedi Knights, the guardians of peace and justice in the galaxy, to settle the conflict. Now, at, at the end of that crawl, I've learned nothing about Anakin Skywalker. I have no idea where that's going or what's going on there. You know, it's fine that they don't maybe uh, reveal everything at that point this early, but I mean, we came into this this prequel trilogy with the expectation that we would get the story of how Anakin Skywalker became Darth Vader. Like that was the only mission. And I'm going to repeat that because this is going to come up again by the time we get to the third movie. It will. Big time. The only thing they had to do with these entire three movies with the six hours of film was to tell the story of Anakin Skywalker and his demise into the character of Darth Vader. And so far, we're getting a lot of very politically flavored content. And then that's not going to stop anytime soon. So, so we'll, we'll jump right into it. So we start with the, uh, the two Jedis boarding an unknown ship as ambassadors to the Republic to try to help settle this trade dispute, as the crawl tells us. And, you know, right away, I think we're getting a taste of for what these alternate political based storylines are going to be, which is really, it's, I I guess it's interesting. I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. I mean, obviously the movie's been going for about a minute, so there's not really anything to judge, but I mean, we're going to get into this considerably and it's going to really muddy up the story in my opinion. But we then see the reveal of Qui-Gon Jinn, who's played by Liam Neeson and a younger yet to be mindful Obi-Wan Kenobi played by Ewan McGregor, getting ready to negotiate a settlement with the Trade Federation Viceroy, uh, who, by the way, has a very distracting, almost insensitively insulting accent, right? Like I- So racist, it's not even funny. I said- You could not- Yeah. I called it out the trade block hard or whatever he says (laughs) in the the crawl. You could not do this character today. Disney- would never do this character today. Oh, no. no chance. No, 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 no. No chance. Yeah, I, I remember very specifically in the first five minutes of this movie, hearing that character, hearing the Viceroy speak and thinking, what is wrong with this? Like, this is, this sounds like a really poorly dubbed uh, martial arts movie from the early 80s. And it was, I, I, I don't know, like, I'm not sure what the motivation behind that was. I mean, there's, there are a lot of uh, nationalities represented throughout the Star Wars universe, and some of them favorably, some of them not so much. But I mean, to me, this just, this felt weird, right out of the gate. But nevertheless, we get our first look at Darth Sidious, who we are to believe at this point is the eventual emperor. And he gives the orders to assassinate the Jedi while they are on that ship. And then there's this badass scene with lightsabers melting down this door and, and before the Jedi make a great escape. But I mean, right away, like immediately, I will say that it is incredibly noticeable that Star Wars with modern effects looks great. Like in 1999, this blew me away. Like I loved everything that I was seeing visually on screen. Yeah, I mean, this was, when when you see the Jedi here specifically, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, you are seeing, again, remember, the only only Jedis that we have up until this point in the the saga, right? You've got a lightsaber duel between old Ben and old Vader, 
Yep. Which is, you know, geriatric Ben and, and we didn't know it, but geriatric Vader. Then we've got a, a, a fight between father and son in Empire Strikes Back, which was which was really good, yes. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. In fact, that, that was probably the best fight of that uh, that trilogy, the, the main trilogy. And then you had the rematch on the Death Star where you got where Luke bested Vader. Even in the first 10 minutes of this movie, just the Jedi, they blow away everything we've seen before. Yes. With, with me, you know, I mean, I mean, again, I would still say that the, 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 the lightsaber battle on Bespin was better, but just purely from a Jedi kind of capabilities perspective, we, we've, we've blown it away already. Well, the lightsaber fight on Bespin was better, but not because it was a better fight. It was because right, exactly. there were more stakes. Yeah. Right. It's because this was Luke and he was doing the best he could and it was Vader. And it was, it was the story that, helped propel that to be as good as it was but there was no story at this point at the very beginning of this first movie but we had people who had clearly been trained to do proper sword fighting and that's what made this awesome i mean immediately the way that ewan mcgregor and liam neeson were both handling the lightsabers made me feel like oh wow this is we're, we're stepping it up a notch. Yeah. I mean, j- j- just the way, just something as simple as if you remember the scene where the Jedi are trying to get into the, I don't know, we'll call it the control room. So, so Qui-Gon takes his saber and he plunges it into the, into the, um, the wall, right? The blast door. Yeah. And Obi-Wan, as he turns around, he kind of flips the saber around. It's just like little things like yes, that where he's yes, just yes, so absolutely. he's so confident. He's so good. He's he is a he is a master at his craft. He's trained and, he, and he's a trained yes. fighter. And yes. and just in that moment showed us more than we've ever seen previous in the in the saga, which was just amazing. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. It was great. And from the beginning, I'm like, okay, all right, we stepped it up. Let's go. Let's see where this goes. So the two Jedi stumble on a bunch of battle droids and decide to retreat to uh, warn the Chancellor of the impending attack. And, and, and things get a little bit confusing, I think, at this point. We then meet Queen Amidala, sometimes played by Natalie Portman, on planet Naboo as she's trying to talk uh, to a hologram version of Senator Palpatine when communications are interrupted and invasion is suspected. Uh, This whole thing is, is pretty fast paced to be honest, as I'm, as I'm watching this and it's, it's not taking a lot of time to breathe. I don't think like they, they jump right into it. It's, it's full blown action right away. The trade Federation quickly swoops to Naboo to track down the Jedi when they bump into a group of Gungans, most notably uh, the very polarizing Jar Jar Binks. And wow, speaking of accents that seem like they don't age well, Jar Jar is very distracting in the way that he talks and quite frankly, very difficult to understand at some points. But I mean, maybe now is as good a time as any to bring up the fact that Jar Jar Binks might be the most hated character out of the entire Star Wars universe. And I feel genuinely bad for Ahmed Best, who was the voice of him. And and it was just taking direction and doing everything that he was told to do. But like Jar Jar at that point, at that time, was almost cancerous to the story of Star Wars. And in my opinion, I, I mean, what say you at this? Uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think probably the only character that has ever even really risen to the level of hate that Jar Jar got was probably Rose Tico, 
oh, come yeah. come last Jedi. Yeah, we'll get there. Well, we already we'll, get there, we, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we will get there. We we weren't there. Well, no, we we are. Yeah, we got there already. We did. <laughs> um, I, I don't. I don't. Um, I, I guess what I will say is I didn't really understand the level of hate for Rose, and I didn't really quite understand the level of hate for Jar Jar. I'm not suggesting by any stretch that I enjoyed the Jar Jar character, but I don't know. To me, like if you look at Star Wars, right? And again, you have to look at the Star Wars through the lens of what we had already had at that point, right? We'd only had three movies. So we had Jawas, we had Ewoks, we had, you know, C-3PO. Like we still had some kind of silly stuff. Yeah. Now, now where Jar Jar kind of stands apart and, and stands above those is he had a lot more dialogue and he was a quote unquote character, a main character, not a main character, but he was, you know, he was a character, right? He was pretty primary for yeah, that first he, movie. He, he was. And uh, yeah, he was difficult to understand. He was, I guess here's, here's what I will say. The first couple viewings of this film, certainly that opening night, I didn't really mind him all that much. And I think it was partially because I was just kind of taking the movie in. I didn't really, I wasn't really able to understand everything that was going, you know, and I think you've even mentioned this on a previous podcast. Like the first time you watch a movie, you just kind of have to take it in and let it yeah. kind of engulf you. For you sure. Can't really, you can't really critique. You can't really, you know, those kind of things. As, as I saw it more and more, I think I grew to like Jar Jar less and less but I still never had the level of vitriol that I think I've seen for that character. I'm again, I'm not saying I like it like that character by any stretch. It just, it just, for me, at least it never rose to the level of just like hatred that some people have for that character. Yeah. It's kind of a tough call because I am the same way. Uh, I'm the same as you in that when I first watched it, I was just, taking it all in I was so happy like there's nothing you could have done like Jar Jar could have pulled down his pants and taken a huge dump right on the ground and I'd have been like this is brilliant it looks amazing what a what a nice looking dump that was in CGI or whatever but the CGI dump yes <laughs> but you know at, to your point as time goes on like it does wear on you because I think it feels to me like they're just trying to shove him down the throats of the viewers and take this movie and make it really focused towards the younger audience. And I wasn't a younger audience when I watched this movie, I was an older audience and the people that were going to see star Wars movies, I think for the most part, they were, they were our age, you know, or maybe even older. Certainly this movie, this movie yes. was 100% geared toward, let's see how old we were we at that point, we would have been, you know, we'll call it mid twenties to mid forties. That's what this movie was absolutely geared towards. Yeah. Right. It's People that grew up with the original trilogy and they were just kind of hoping that they would hook the younger audience, but that younger audience, they didn't give a fuck about this movie right out of the gate. Yeah. I mean, I, I think maybe over time there was a younger audience that gravitated towards these movies and only knew these movies to be what star Wars is, but yeah, I, I, it didn't jive with me. It felt, it just felt off. It, it felt too forced from a comedic perspective. And, you know, Star Wars has always had a layer of comedy, but it 
felt very natural and this felt forced this felt like george lucas was telling us we were supposed to laugh and that that just didn't resonate yeah i i guess the the best way i can describe it now coming back to it now is it feels juvenile yeah it, it, it really feels beneath the rest of the stuff that's going on in the story and again i, I don't know that i necessarily would have come to that realization you know, even five years ago, but again, coming back to it now, it really feels like that's the one character and the one kind of plot line that is geared towards my seven-year-old as opposed to me or my, even my teenage boys. Like that's the one that my little guy would like. And we're going to see George Lucas course correct pretty considerably uh, for the rest of the trilogy as we go through these. But for now, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan escape to the impressive-looking underwater Gungan City with Jar Jar to speak with the leader boss, Nas, who reluctantly gives our heroes transport after being convinced by the old <laughs> Jedi mind trick. I mean, this stuff looks really good. It's it's goofy as fuck, but it, it looks really good, yeah, and I, I appreciate that much. So leaving the Gungan City, they must traverse the planet core which leads us to a fun chase scene with some large underwater creatures uh you know which again they look great but as i'm watching this it just seems i don't know it seems clumsy and it doesn't it doesn't feel like it pushes the story as much as it takes the opportunity to just show off the special effects and then we have some nonsensical conversations with jar jar and they make their way back to the surface of naboo finally where the droid armies are storming the capital city, actually called Theed, uh, which I learned from doing some research. I'm not even sure that, that the capital city is name dropped like that in the, in the movie, but the Jedi thwart the attack from more than a few inept droids and save the queen from uh, and her court. And they make their way to the main hangar to escape and uh, plead their case to the Senate. And we get many more fun jedi saber fights which you know it, it just i you know again i'm gonna i'm gonna continue to comment on this because i feel like it makes it looks like they're actual swordsmen and 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 that's just such a cool upgrade from the first trilogy yeah th- th- this i i think this we're not quite there yet but i but the um th- the sword play in this movie, I think, is probably my overall favorite of the entire saga. When, Ooh, when you, wow. I, I, re, I really think now that's not to say that it has the best fight in it, but I think overall as a film, I, I think it's probably my favorite because that's a because a statement. Yeah, it is. Well, it is. But and I think it's it's partially because like kind of what we've already talked about, where it's really the first time that we've seen truly what a Jedi can do. Sure. Right. It's like, Oh shit, these guys are really good. And then of course we'll, we'll get to the, you know, kind of the, 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 the final fight, but yeah, I, th- I think uh, this one holds up really, really well for me. So their ship escapes while taking some hits, which is where we are introduced for the first time to the iconic R2D2 who saves the day you know, finally, an astromech who is actually doing something worth a shit. And after discovering a hyperdrive leak, they decide to land on what other sand planet but Tatooine to repair their ship, much to the chagrin of Captain Panaka, I guess is his name. <laughs> I had to look that up because I couldn't remember who is the head security guard, I think. We then cut back to a conversation 
where the Viceroy has to tell Sidious that the Queen has escaped. And we see our first look at Sith baddie Darth Maul, who is now in charge of finding the Queen and her crew to sign the treaty. And wow, I mean, what a badass. Like already the first glimpse we see of Darth Maul and a hologram. And holy shit, how cool is that? Yes, Darth Maul is an absolute badass. I still feel, and again, I'm going to just talk about this movie with, when, in terms of Darth Maul's kind of character arc. I know that there's more that comes, right? Whether it's in comics or, or, or cartoons or previous subsequent movies or what have you. But yes, I, I loved Maul. I thought we got gypped with Maul. In, in in this film but god damn he was amazing yeah. he was so good he he was so good that he overshadowed the kind of political bullshit that was kind of running through this movie yeah like, i don't know about you but like it took me several 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 times of watching this movie to understand kind of all the machinations in terms of what's going on here from a political perspective. I don't give a fuck about a trade federation or a trade blockade <laughs> or like, I just, I just don't care. Right. And, and, and there, there, there just doesn't seem to be any stakes to any of that stuff. And I know there's even a lot of deleted scenes out of this movie where they even expand on that shit. No, which yeah. Thank Thank God it was deleted. But again, mall here, Sidious here, really even they 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 overshadow all that stuff and i'm glad they did because that's that stuff is it really kind of slows down this stuff this this movie and i'm and i'm and i'm glad that i'm glad it is as subdued as it was absolutely seeing darth sidious and darth maul remind us why we're here to begin with right we didn't come yes. here to see a political commentary on uh, trade federations breaking down or, or you know trade routes or any of that stuff like that's would, not why we're here now it, i understand no. like i want to make it clear like i get why george lucas was doing this because he doesn't give a shit about trade federations he's trying to tell the story of why palpatine came to power but i think we spent too much time focusing on that and not enough time on the jedi and the sith and how everything sort of graduated into the spot that it should have been i mean we got there eventually. I, you know, whether we were satisfied with how it was told or not, that's another story. But when Darth Maul jumps on screen, I immediately think, screw all this trade federation stuff. I don't care about any of that. I want to see some some badass saber fights. Right. I want to see Jedi and and all of that, uh, the Sith go toe-to-toe and you know, battle for you know the fate of everybody. So, so I, I have to, I have to take a detour here real quick, right? So we, you just mentioned the, the, the first time we saw Maul in this film. Maul is in the trailer, is in the, in the original trailer, yes. right? And the double-sided lightsaber is in that original trailer, which is the first time up until this point that we've ever seen that in the Star Wars universe. Do you remember how you felt the first time you saw that double-sided saber? Oh, man. I remember <laughs> seeing that in a trailer and thinking, wow, talk about escalating a situation like that. It was super cool and immediately left me pissed off that I had to wait six months or however long that that was when that trailer came out 
to see the actual movie because I wanted to know how that fight was going to work out because that was amazing. So, so I, I have, <laughs> I have to make a confession. I don't know if I've ever told you this. Like if you were, if you recall there, there's, there's two shots in that original trailer that show the double bladed saber. The, the first one is the one where he uh, actually kind of shows it and extends it right where you actually see it. Right. Yeah. It's the kind of the, the, the head on shot. There's another one though, where they're showing the battle from afar and legit. The first time I saw that, I was like, Oh, they're training. It's a training exercise. It, I thought it was like three Jedis and this guy has a training module and he's, and he's going through and he's training. Uh, and I was like, that's Oh, no, that's yeah. Anyways. Okay. Sorry. I did. I apologize for the detour. No, Continue, right. sir. Okay. No problem at all. So Qui-Gon, Jar Jar, R2, and Padme travel together to the familiar looking Tatooine with the intent of repairing their faulty hyperdrive when they stumble upon a shop. The first one, by the way, how convenient, uh, that has exactly what they need. Also, here is our boy hero, villain to be, Anakin Skywalker, played by Indiana native Jake Lloyd. So right away, we're off to a weird start. I mean, I, I don't know how you're feeling about this kid. The dialogue is super awkward, which, I mean, to be fair, the dialogue that George Lucas writes is always awkward. It makes more sense on paper than it does to deliver verbally, but... Like this whole scene is starting to creep me out a little bit, not creep me out, but it's starting to make me worry about where this whole story is going, because I'm not comfortable with. The, uh, I don't even know how to explain it. I, I think that it's very poorly done, like it just feels poorly delivered and it really takes me out of the story. Yeah. So so coming into this story, coming into this movie, you're you're right. This trilogy had one job. Its job was to show the fall of Anakin Skywalker to Darth Vader. I never expected to see a prepubescent Darth Vader. I just, I never in a million years would have, would have suggested that we would have gotten a I don't know how old he's supposed to be, 10 years old, 12 years old. What, what I just I never thought we would have seen Vader or Anakin at that age. I just assumed that we would have the first time we ever would have seen him would have been, you know, Attack of the Clones age, teenage, 18 year, you know, that like that kind of, you know. So so when we got Jake Lloyd here. Immediately, I was kind of on my heels. I was just like, what, like, what, like, what, what is this? It, I, it felt like it's a terrible reference. It felt like the Christmas story, Ralphie, clearly not like comedically, but just kind of that kind of bumbling, silly kind of like yeah. ho-hum life is happening to me kind of kind of way. Sure. And yeah, immediately when I saw this, and it, it wasn't even the, the dialogue necessarily, but it was just kind of the innocence of the character. And maybe that's what they were going for, right? Maybe they were trying to go for innocence falls to darkness. Okay, sure. but I, if that's what they were going for, they, they didn't get there in my opinion. Qui-Gon can't convince the Tridarian boss of the shop to give him the part. So the team leaves to come up with a plan the needed funds and Anakin takes the group back to his house 
where he talks them into sponsoring him in a pod race to get the necessary credits. We learn, quite strangely, in my opinion, that Anakin is actually the creator of C-3PO, and we see C-3PO for the first time, and we get to witness him meeting R2. That in itself is kind of cool. We also meet Anakin's mother, Shmi, who curiously allows her son to join a very dangerous pod race to help his new friends. Uh, We'll see her become a more important part of Anakin's journey in the next movie. But for now, Qui-Gon secures a spot in the pod race and wagers on Anakin's freedom to sweeten the pot with the Tridarian. In the next scene, we learn some very controversial exposition where Qui-Gon identifies him as a potential Jedi and Shmi reveals that he had no father. And at this point, it's like, wait a minute, what, what's happening? He was immaculately conceived. Was this to give him a Jesus like quality or did they just sort of cop out on who is the dad? I mean, I, I mean, my mind was racing. I think when I saw this at first, what, where were you with this? This is the record scratch moment. The, the, right <laughs> wait what that, that that's what this was it was the wait what and, and not and not and not in a holy shit kaiser sose kind of way right this was the like wait what what the fuck are you talking about kind of way and not the what the fuck what are you talking about explain it to me kind of way it was the wait i'm i'm out kind of you know what i mean like it was it was just it was kind of it was so out of left field i mean yeah there's clearly some jesus stuff going on but like that wasn't even where i went in my mind i was just kind of like uh this was the first time i was really really let down with this film right right there midichlorians no dad like uh yeah yeah, well, I mean, and you you sort of open the door to the next point because this is maybe the most fiercely contentious storyline that eventually rears its ugly head, the introduction of the midi-chlorians, which is a very polarizing topic of Star Wars fans, you know, which helped to highlight how powerful young Anakin actually is. So this sort of introduces the idea of science into the Jedi, which up to this point, you know, were identified more as a religion, I think. So I'm curious to know, how did you feel about this then? And, and how has this aged for you? And, and why do we do this? I, I, I wasn't a fan of it then. I'm not a fan of it now. I was a, I was a big fan of the, of the quote unquote religion of the Jedi. Like I liked that Agreed. concept. 100%. I liked, I liked that. It was, it, was a, it was a way of life. It was a creed. It was a it was a, it was a, it was a, um, an outline. It was the way you lived like that kind of thing. It was a religion, right? Again, we could talk about whether we agree, disagree, religion, blah, 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 this, that, but that's, that's what it was. Yeah. And, and, and once you introduce midichlorians, then you're, then you're introducing this, this element of chance, right? It's like, I'm not choosing to be a Jedi. I just happen to have a lot of this shit in my blood. It, yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I guess I understand why they did it, but 
again, for me, I preferred when the when the Jedi Order was more of a choice, more of a religion, more of a way of life right. versus a biological thing that actually made you physically more into a Jedi than more of a quote unquote spiritual thing. Again, my opinion, that's, that's where no, I, I mean, I, I actually agree with that. I think the spiritual aspect of the Jedi was always very intriguing. At least it was to me. I have to think that maybe the whole midi-chlorian thing was introduced just to prove the point that they talked about at some point around this time, which is that Anakin was stronger than Yoda, right? So he had a midi-chlorian count that was bigger. They were trying to prove the point that, he had more potential and he was, this is how they were telling the story that we had to pay attention to Anakin. And I, I don't agree necessarily that that was the route that they should have taken by any means, but I think that's the rationale behind why Lucas decided to do that. Yeah. I, I, yeah, you, 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 you're probably right. I guess the argument or the, or the rebuttal to that, that I would make would be like, if you look at a, I don't know, you look at the Dalai Lama, right? Like he is, he is more, he is, he's leveled up <laughs> to me, right? Like okay. as a, as a regular guy, right? So you, I guess my point is there, there were, there would have been other ways that you could have gotten the point across that Anakin was quote yes. unquote better right. versus just saying he had more of X in his blood, which yeah. is essentially what they did. I think that was the way to push the story along to, to be yeah. like, okay, this is why we have to take him because we've done a scientific test and it tells us that he's better, but it, I think it took, I agree. I mean, we're on the same page here. I think it took away from the, the, the magic and the mystique of what the Jedi are supposed to be. Yeah. And it's like, well, this is the reason we have to take him. We're not going to take him just because he's really good at pod racing. We have to take him because, well, his midichlorian count scientifically, he's stronger than Yoda. So we have to look into this. I yeah, think it, that's why they did it, but yeah. And, and here, and, and here, here is, and I guess I've never really articulated it, but like kind of as we're talking about it, right? So, so when, when, when George Lucas sat down and wrote the original trilogy, we are now to believe 16, 20 years later, whatever, that he actually, he didn't actually just write three movies. He actually wrote this big nine part story, this mind part saga that he just chose to tell the original, the, the middle three, right? Right. Okay, <laughs> fine. Sure. Okay. Let Again, Maybe. for argument's sake, let's just say that that's the case. If that's the case, again, up until this point in 1999, all we know of the force really is what Yoda told us on Dagobah. That's really all we know. It's a mystical force. It flows between us. It's it, all living things, blah, 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 blah. He doesn't mention anything about a grading scale where one guy is better than the other. Sure. That's my, that's my problem. Right. And, and, and this, I guess this is the kind of first time where it feels like, and again, I don't know if this is the case, but it feels like Lucas is kind of trying to square peg in a round hole kind of thing. Right. He's trying to force this particular kid onto us. He's trying to force his version of like, why should we care about Anakin? Yes. Right. Agreed. And, and, and again, I think there are, and I, I'm not suggesting that I have better ways to do it, but I think there are better ways to do it versus through this. He's got more of this stuff in his blood than I do. Yeah, no, I agree. 
I, I think I'm on the same page with you. I think this was just a contrivance, for lack of a better term, to get Anakin wedged into this story a little bit more fiercely. It, it's it's the Sith Wayfinder of <laughs> right? I mean, that's what it uh, yeah. is. That's uh, what it is. So we then get to the pod race, which is a 10 plus minute visual spectacle that arguably could end up being the trademark action sequence of the entire prequel trilogy. In my opinion, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it because it's an action sequence, but it's it's visual. It's brilliant. It's really, really well done, uh, which includes a blink if you miss it cameo by Warwick Davis, who would end up uh, in five of the Skywalker saga movies. Uh, along with Solo and Rogue One. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we 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 yeah, we could shit on this movie all day long, but you're right. This is a great sequence. I mean, it's it it just is it it is the um it's the equivalent of the the speeder bike scene from Endor. Yeah, but it's, updated it's with scene, really great sure. visuals. So it, it stands out a lot. Yeah, it's but long it looks, looks and even it's unnecessarily long, but it's really cool. Of course, Anakin wins and our heroes get their new hyperdrive on the way back to his house. Anakin learns that he also earned his freedom. He's very conflicted, leaving his mother, but decides to travel with the Jedi to be trained. He promises to return, which he will make good on in the next film. Before leaving, however, we get our first look at Darth Maul in action as he tracked down the crew to kidnap the queen. A quick battle ensues and the Jedi escape to fight another day. And then we get this iconic line, which I still get the chills over a little bit. Anakin Skywalker, meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. Hi. I, I think that's great. I still think that's amazing. It is. This is this fight scene on the desert where you see Darth Maul. You kind of see what he can do. And then, yes, the, the introduction of Obi-Wan to Anakin really is good. And it gives me goosebumps every time I see it. It, it is it is an introduction that is really, really well done. We get our first look at Coruscant, which we've heard about in the movies and in the books. It looks brilliant, along with a much younger Senator Palpatine played again and, and only by Ian McDermott uh, and Chancellor Zod. I mean, Chancellor Valorum played by Terrence Stamp. <laughs> Palpatine starts sowing the seeds of discontent almost immediately with Padme in order to gain more power for himself by attempting to boot the Chancellor. And Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, as this is all happening, visit the Jedi Council to inform them of the Sith attacker, where we meet Mace Windu uh, for the first time, and of course get reacquainted with Master Yoda, who, if you were there in the theaters to see him in 1999, you will notice a very nasty-looking puppet uh, which was later digitally added and, and, you know, looks much better now when they redid that movie, they uh, completely redid his character. And yeah, the, the puppet looked very uncomfortably off in that first movie. Yes. The, the original puppet was bad, but I remember, I remember feeling like so excited to see other Jedi that were of the caliber of Yoda. Yeah. I, cause, cause again, up until this time in the movie, up at really up until this point in the saga, all we knew of the Jedi were Yoda kind of Luke kind of Vader 
and then Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, right? We really hadn't seen any other Jedi that were on kind of of the Jedi order that were at that caliber. And I remember I was pumped seeing these guys sitting around being like, oh my God, there's, there's a bunch of other badasses sitting around kind of like where Qui-Gon is reporting to these guys. And so, yeah, even though the pup was bad, I remember I was, I was really, really excited to see this, this kind of the Jedi council. They also begrudgingly agreed to meet Anakin after Qui-Gon tells them he's so strong with the midi-chlorians that he may have been conceived by them, which I, I'm, I'm, I'm still wrestling with. We cut back to the Senate where Palpatine successfully manages to indirectly unseat the Chancellor, aligning himself as the successor. Back to the Jedi Council, we do a lot of bouncing back and forth in this movie. Uh, is harshly judged because he's a kid who misses his mom. <laughs> and the, I don't know. I mean, I think the Jedi are a little weird in this movie. Why is it? Why? First of all, why is their home base on a planet made up of one large city? And second of all, what expectations would they have of somebody who's what eight, maybe nine years old, who misses his mom and right. can't can't fathom him being a part of the council? Yeah, you know, one of the things that you will, that we will come to learn about the Jedi, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of taking kids away from their home life and, and making, <laughs> right, just in general, just like, I, 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 I'm, I'm against that, and I don't care who knows it, right, yeah, uh, you know, sure. um, but yeah, you, you're right, I mean, the, the problem with these scenes here is they are compounding in my mind, they're compounding errors, right? You've got the error of the midichlorian, and then you've got the error of, let's take a kid away from his mother. And then you've got an error, like there's just, they they just kind of keep building. It's like just kind of bullshit upon bullshit. And even though 10 minutes ago or five minutes ago, I was really excited about to see the Jedi. Now I'm seeing... I don't even know who it is. It's Kiata Mundi or whoever it is being like, your, your thoughts are on your mother. Well, of course his thoughts are on his mother. You just right. let, yanked him, yanked him away. Like what, what the fuck else is he going to think be thinking about? Right. So th- that's, th- I guess what it, what it shows me for the first time really is that the Jedi can fail. Yeah. They're fallible. Yeah, they are. They're, they're not perfect. And, and I guess I guess this is kind of the first time that I've really kind of seen that where it's just like, Oh, yeah, these, not that they're bad by any stretch, but maybe they're not always right. Yeah. And not only that, but they're, they're misguided in some ways. Like the Jedi are not going to come out of this particular trilogy looking all that awesome. I mean, really, no, they, not at they're, all. they're a series of failures, one on top of the other. Uh, Obi-Wan is the only one that comes out with any dignity, to be honest, maybe Qui-Gon. Uh, spoiler alert he dies at the end of this but i mean yoda he he he's not a great character in this trilogy and mace windu also not super thoughtful uh going through and making these decisions and it i i don't know like we'll we'll get there we'll talk about a lot of this stuff through here but it it didn't sit real well it, it's not what i had in mind of what the jedi was supposed to be if we're talking about a group of people versus just luke skywalker so the Jedi initially declined to train Anakin Skywalker, but Qui-Gon attempts to take him on as his Padawan, no matter what. Uh, they are then sent back to Naboo to uncover the identity of the Sith. The Queen leaves Palpatine to enjoy her new position of power while she goes back to Naboo to help her people. 
While back home, Jar Jar helps our heroes find the Gungans hiding out on land. And we find out that Queen Amidala was actually a decoy the whole time, played by Kira Knightley. Not sure why this was inspirational, but the Gungans teamed up with them anyways, uh, with these land dwellers, and they prepare for battle. Like, that that scene was super, super clumsy. Like, for no reason whatsoever, they're now all of a sudden friends. Boss Nass, who is clearly shit-canned, uh, makes Jar Jar a war general, of all things. And the Queen's plan is to kidnap the Viceroy to overtake his army. We then find ourselves in the battle uh, that's certainly visually impressive, even if it looks like it takes place on what can best be described as a Windows 95 wallpaper background come to life. Uh, Qui-Gon said, we cannot fight a war for you, but I'm not sure why not, because these droids are clearly the most inept things that have ever existed, even more so than any stormtrooper, and they didn't seem to have any issues slicing them all apart. Yeah, so so here here's the point in the movie where again we're coming off the last half an hour of this movie. We've introduced midichlorians, introduced a Jedi Council who is fallible. We we like it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense logically. This whole kind of middle. Once we got past the podcast, right? Or not podcast, pod race. We, 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 <laughs> once we got past the pod race, which again, it, it's a race. Like that's very simple. It's it's clean cut, beginning to end, who wins? Okay, got it. But now we start introducing all sorts of just kind of spooky shit that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't understand why we had to have a, a decoy for the queen. Like, okay, Kira Knightley's hot, but like, what, what like... Like she added nothing to this movie. Like that, right. that whole scene added nothing. I think you're right. Boss Nass is hammered through the whole thing. Yeah. Why the fuck would you ever make Jar Jar anything other than a foot soldier? I have no idea. Right. It, it just, it, it, it just doesn't make, there's a whole lot of stuff that just doesn't make any sense here. And, and, and kind of, as we continue forward, it, it's kind of starting to fall apart for me. Yeah, this this middle this kind this half hour here is is really rough. Yeah, I agree because our heroes are going back into the capital to uh, attempt to try to kidnap the viceroy and and you know overcome that whole situation. And again, and again, it, it comes back to the fact that the whole premise of this movie is is about taxes and and trade routes and federal like politics. So Right. Politics and politics that we don't understand and really don't care about. Right. And so the Jedi that we presumably do care about are going back into an into a, a situation that they've already escaped from. But now they're going back to address something that we didn't give a fuck about the first time. Like that. that yeah. You, you kind of see where I'm going. Like, yeah, it just doesn't. There's no like, yes, there's stakes, but there's there's the stakes we don't care about. Right. Absolutely. So our heroes get back into the capital and find their way into the hangar where Anakin escapes with other pilots to head into space in an attempt to knock out the droid control ship. And I will say that this is a really nice looking space battle. Like this is, in my opinion, what I feel like would have been nice to start the movie with in some way, shape or form. It looks gorgeous. Like the space battle stuff is amazing and it's a clever way to give Anakin something to do uh, you know, while being an obvious nod to what Luke did in A New Hope, right? So Skywalkers will be Skywalkers. 
Uh, and it's funny to see Anakin's autopilot taking him right to the enemy droid ship. I, I, <laughs> I didn't understand that. He worked so hard to get it off of autopilot, but for some reason it's guiding him right to where he wants to be. So, eh, you know, that's convenient. There's reasons. But the Gungans and droids square off and we get the face off we've been waiting for when Darth Maul, who's played by Ray Park, shows up with his double-bladed saber to battle Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. And we're also greeted with the, I mean, I don't even think it's arguable, the greatest piece of film score that was written after the original trilogy. And I include the sequel trilogy in this. There is no better piece of score that John Williams wrote in the Star Wars universe after the original trilogy than the Duel of the Fates. It is so fucking yes, epic. The, the, the Duel of the Fates is fucking amazing it's so good and they they bring it back a couple times later in the trilogy but you're right i mean it is this is john williams at his best it 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 is i can't agree with you i can't come up with any other superlatives to agree more it's outstanding and this is where again i mentioned it earlier in the podcast this is the beginning of what i consider the greatest saber fight in, in the Star Wars trilogy. It's, yes. it's amazing. Absolutely. And you can't say enough about John Williams and his contribution to the Star Wars universe. And I will say that to his deathbed and mine, he's, he's amazing and he's brilliant. And these movies would be nothing, absolutely nothing without his contribution. But to your point, this, the, these are where the lightsaber battles really get exciting. And this is clearly the most interesting of the three ongoing battles that we're watching kind of bounce back and forth as they laser sword their way through the interior of the capital city. Obi-Wan gets split up temporarily while Qui-Gon and Maul find themselves in this weird room where there are random four shields protecting them. Seems like, again, a bit of a contrivance just to split everybody up. So be it. The Gungan battle with the droids ensue as Jar Jar continues to make me wish the whole planet would just fucking blow up already. But Qui-Gon and, and Darth Maul continue their one-on-one battle inside the capital city where Maul gets the best of him and knocks him right in the face to stun him. And then Qui-Gon takes a red saber right into the gut. And I mean, I, I don't know. It was a powerful scene. It was crazy. Uh, did we ever figure out officially why Qui-Gon never disappeared as a Jedi? Because all the Jedis, when they die, seem to disappear. And I feel like maybe this was addressed somewhere, but I can't remember. You, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure th- I'm sure it's addressed somewhere in a, in a book or a comic or some, some canon somewhere. I mean, it has to be. It's it's if it's not, it's too big of an oversight not yeah. to be. I can't recall reading about it. I, I so so I'm sure one of our listeners will will tell us about it. Um, I, no, to answer your question, I'm sure it has been. I don't I don't remember what it is. This this scene to me, even though I had some issues with it, right? So earlier in the movie, we saw an example of Obi-Wan Qui-Gon using super force speed where they could kind of, they just like, they just went away. And and, you know, I'm not quite sure why Obi-Wan couldn't do this now to get back with his master and help him out, but whatever it was. Um, 
I mean, I, I think it was pretty clear once they got split up that, you know, Qui-Gon was Foxville. I, I do, I do remember that. I, I do remember that this was spoiled for me be, before the movie came out because I saw really, the tr- yeah, because I saw the track listing of the score. soundtrack. Oh no. Yep. And it's called Qui-Gon's death or whatever it's called. And I was like, well, fuck, like, <laughs> I, I guess Qui-Gon's gonna, I didn't know when it was going to happen. Oh but, my God. So uh, I knew Qui-Gon was not going to make it out of this movie. This one, this one killed me, man, because I was a huge fan of Qui-Gon Jinn. Sure. He was to, the new to, Obi-Wan, right? He, he was, man. He and, and not only that, but he was the he was the version of the Jedi that I really liked. Yes. He was true. he was all about the spirituality, he was all about the religion, but at the same time he was kind of pushing back against the political bullshit that was coming in. Yep. Like he was the Jedi that it was all about and and to see him and to see us lose him just one movie in, I was, I was really, really bummed. I was bummed too, but I don't think we're done with him. I'm going to make a bold prediction that we're I, going, I hope you're right, dude. I hope we're going right. to see I him right. or at least hear him in the new Obi-Wan series. I will be shocked if we don't and disappointed if we don't, I think we're not done with Qui-Gon. Yet. Well, we almost, we almost have to, right? We heard him. Yes. We heard him in rise of Skywalker. Well, they, he they, would, Yes, they teased it in Revenge of the Sith, too. Yeah, it, we we almost have to see or hear at the very least here. We we ha- we almost have to. Right. Because just just in terms of the timeline, you, you, you almost have to. Right. Yes. So a pissed off Obi-Wan is finally set free and has an epic battle with Darth Maul when he gets forced pushed into the shaft. Uh, hanging on for dear life, Obi-Wan manages to force jump. Uh, clumsily out of the pit and grab Qui-Gon's lightsaber all in one fell swoop and slice Darth Maul in half, which, oh man, I feel like there were so many better ways that we could have done this. I don't know why it couldn't have just been a traditional, you know, sword slash that, that killed him. I could honestly, even when I first saw this movie and in, in, in the first couple of viewings, I could barely tell what even happened there. Uh, because I, I, I thought the way that they shot that it, I mean, yes, it's painfully obvious that he got sliced in half, but it, it didn't look like that when he was flying down the, the shaft or whatever it was. Um, I, I don't know. I just felt like there were much better ways to do this. I mean, you know, it, it just no, I, didn't, I agree. it seemed yeah, sloppy. I, it seemed. I, I agree. And in fact, I, I don't know. And maybe I'm just misremembering this, but I, I so now if you watch it when 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 you get the slice there's kind of like a like a blood spurt for yes. lack of a better term yes I don't think that was there originally maybe not I, maybe I, don't I think, think you it might be right because okay. I I don't remember seeing that okay and 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 here's the thing right and I'm gonna sound like a total nerd right now but like if you understand the way the lightsaber works theoretically we shouldn't see a blood spurt like there should be no blood because it's this plasma whatever that is cutting through like it should in theory 
cauterize what like there should be no sure. blood just like luke in his hand and Empire Strikes and, and, Back. and, and, and qui-gon getting cut yeah just like now but i guess i guess now that i think back though like there was blood on what was the 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 the, uh, the thing in the Moss Eisley Cantina? There was blood, yeah. but again, that was 1977. It was so, inconsistent. Yeah. So, yeah. anyways, um, yeah, I, 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 um, I, I was happy here. Clearly, that that Obi Wan uh, defeated Maul. I wasn't a huge fan of the the little force jump thing. I, I would have preferred. I think in retrospect, I would have preferred that he just would have defeated Maul right. without going without going over and then coming back. You could still get Maul cut in half. You could still get him falling down to the shaft. You could just you know the whole thing. You just didn't. Yeah, I. It was like the Star Wars equivalent of the RKO. If we're going to tie this back to it, WrestleMania, it was. <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was it RKO out of nowhere. You're right. It was. I, I guess, yes. I, I guess what I will say is, uh, because because it was good overcoming evil, I didn't care as yeah. much. You know what I mean? Like I didn't care as much. But looking back on it, twenty some years later, or not quite, whatever. I have a more critical eye than I did then, I guess is the best way I can yeah. describe well, it. Yeah. Hindsight is 2020, yeah. as we all know. Padme and team managed to capture the Viceroy and Anakin crash lands on the droid control ship while he accidentally blows it up on his way out. I don't know. This whole thing was super clumsy. All the droids crash, insert another Windows 95 joke, and our heroes have won the day. So we get through, you know, the climax of the battle. We get to the celebration towards the end. And we hear some really uh, one of my favorite quotes of the whole movie. And you, young Skywalker, we will watch your career with great interest. By, of course, Chancellor Palpatine at that point. Yoda ends up making Obi-Wan a Jedi Knight and he insists on training Anakin again. Yoda, despite not wanting to do any of that, grants his wishes. I'm so confused about the power structure of the Jedi at this point, because everybody just seems to be giant pussies. <laughs> I don't know. Like it, it doesn't, yeah. none of it makes any sense. Like Yoda many times is like, no, no, we're not going to do this. Just like, all right, fine. I guess we're going to do this. So um, it, it just seems like Yoda is very wishy-washy about how he wants things handled here. Uh, we do get a quick funeral scene for Qui-Gon, which was nice, even if we never got one for Han or Luke or Leia. After Still a, uh, haven't gotten one. No, yeah. don't even get me started. And after a festive Gungan celebration in the streets, we see our heroes exchange some winks and uh, John Williams' music is cued and we roll to credits. And I think at this point we are officially done with The Phantom Menace. So, I mean... Wow. Lots to soak in here. Lots to take in. Again, I think we were both probably really excited and really energized the first couple of times we saw this movie because it was new Star Wars material. It was upgraded special effects and lightsaber fighting and choreography and all of that. But, you know, as I'm watching this many, many years later, I will say that the green screen effects are a little bit painfully obvious. Again, it was the technology of the time, so they did the best that they could, and it was good back then. The back and forth between Palpatine as a senator and Darth Sidious gives me a bit of a migraine because I can't quite figure out what they're trying to accomplish. At this point, by the end of this movie, not knowing anything else, I didn't even know if that was 
they were the same people. Like I thought maybe they were going to pull a switcheroo of some so, kind. Yeah. So I, so I was going to say, I, I can remember very vividly conversations and, and web forums and blogs and we're, we're, we're openly discussing is Sidious Palpatine is Palpatine. Is it a, is it a clone? Is it the same person? Is it this? Yeah. So do, do you, re, do you remember kind of where you stood did you think Palpatine was Sidious coming out of this? Or I guess going in, no, going in, you wouldn't know. But coming out of this movie, did you think they were one and the same? I thought they were. That was where I was leaning, only because it was very clearly Ian McDermott was the actor playing both parts. Right. Like, yeah, there was no doubt about that. So I thought that they were, but I wasn't sure. Because at that point, uh, Darth Sidious, who would eventually become Emperor Palpatine, he wasn't hideously old or disfigured or scarred right. or anything like that, which didn't really occur to me that we'd get to that part and something would happen. I just knew that somebody who looked and sounded like Emperor Palpatine and was wearing these black robes and, and hoods that, you know, he was trying to control things on the backside. So I was really having trouble understanding how both of these things were happening. And it turns out as we're supposed to understand, you know, Palpatine was controlling both sides of everything in a manner that would eventually get him in a position of power, which I don't think is obvious from this first movie. And I, I think I, it I was, takes a while past this to even try to figure out that that's what he was doing. I was going to say, I, I don't, I don't know. So, so to come, to come back to my question, I think coming out of this movie, I think I probably thought that they were the same person, but mm -hmm. I was kind of holding out hope that they weren't, if yeah. that makes any sense. That would have been cool. Right. And I don't know that I ever really put two and two together in terms of truly understanding. And I don't even know if I do now truly understanding if 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 what you're saying is true and i'm and i'm and you're right right that that palpatine was really kind of playing both sides to set himself up to you know th this was the long game to yes. truly over like i i guess i i guess i've really never sat down and done the analysis but i certainly didn't understand it coming out of this movie no no all, right well and yeah. i'm not sure if we were supposed to but i mean clearly in hindsight he was palpatine playing against the politicians and he was Darcidius playing against the trade federation. And right. it, it wasn't very obvious at that point. So it wasn't clear whether it was the same person or not, even if it was very clearly the same actor, maybe I gave Lucas too much credit from a story writing perspective to think that he would have come up with something uh, more creative than that. But that's ultimately, I think what he was doing there. So I guess that means he was a Sith at that point and kind of knew what he was doing but it, it was not very clear to me anyways yeah. at that point what did you think we were getting next were you, i guess were you happy with this movie were, were you excited with what we kind of what the future what future they laid out for us kind of kind of where do you, do you recall where you were kind of headspace wise after coming out of this movie seeing it five times in the theaters and then umpteen times after that I was really jazzed. I was at the time I was very excited just because it was new content. And I, you know, I've said that a couple of times at this point, I don't think I had a critical perspective enough of a critical perspective of what the movie was doing 
at the time, which of course hindsight is a great benefit, right? Because now I've seen all three of those prequel movies and now I know where it ends up and ultimately have my own thoughts about that. But, you know, at the time I was just excited that it existed and it was there and we were going to get more. It was, it was all to me, regardless of all that trade federation treaty bullshit, the only thing I wanted to see was the turn of Anakin Skywalker and I knew that that was coming. And so it didn't really matter what they gave me up until that point. But at that point, I liked it. I thought it was good and I thought it was fun. In hindsight, I'll be honest with you, as I rewatched this movie recently, I kind of came down in a place where I was just sort of ambivalent, you know, like it, I didn't watch this movie and think, oh God, this was terrible. And I didn't watch this movie and think, oh, wow, this is actually a lot better than I thought. It was just kind of there. It didn't really do anything for me. Uh, maybe because I've seen it so many times already. But it just kind of existed. It was a gateway into another story. And I'm fine with that. I don't hate this movie. And if, if we're getting to that point of the podcast where we're talking about our overall feelings. But, you know, it doesn't particularly age well in a way that I want to revisit it. I would not have seen this movie again for many, many years if it wasn't for this podcast. But at the same time, it was the gateway into a new series of Star Wars movies that eventually led to, you know, two more prequel trilogy movies and fair to say probably the sequel trilogy movies as well. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I, I think it's probably fair to say that this movie contains my my two favorite characters of this trilogy are are Qui-Gon and Darth Maul and they're both dead at the end of this movie right <laughs> yeah, true I, yeah but, but I mean like legitimately like I, I, Qui-Gon I just I really really connected with that character and Darth Maul to me was a character that was really embodied what I thought the Sith was all about at yes. that point right yeah it, he was just an assassin, a badass, a, a just like just a, a force of nature, dark right? and mysterious. Yeah, right. And, and and so the fact that my two favorite characters from this prequel trilogy can be can be gone at the end of this movie is a real bummer. I guess coming back to it after all these years. There's just a lot of politics in this movie that I just don't care about. I, just, I I don't I just I don't care about trade federations or trade routes or 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 invasion or like the what bib what's the guy's name that is you know communications can only mean one thing and like I just okay fine you know there's just a lot of kind of nonsense in here. I will reiterate the fact that I think Anakin coming into this movie, I think should have been 18 or 20, yeah. like an older version of Anakin. Mm-hmm. Um, because, because here's the problem when, when you've got a, and this is not a knock on Jake Lloyd by any stretch, when you've got a 10 year old actor, how the fuck is he going to interact with, with a 20 year old or 21 or however old she was Natalie Portman? Right. Like, are, are we really supposed to believe that they're romantically involved? No, of course not. It's it's creepy at best. Yes, absolutely. And, and that'll come back in this next in the next movie, right? But it's creepy at best. Like th- they didn't have any sort of a quote relationship in this movie. 
it was it was she was the the older babysitter at best and and that's and that's uh, you know and again I, I i'm really kind of i'm coloring my thoughts about this movie based on what happens but but when you kind of look back on it objectively you've got a lot of stuff here that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense no i totally agree i think that when we're watching this movie we know that anakin skywalker and padme are going to be a romantic item at some point and it feels creepy because he clearly is like eight years old maybe she is like 15 or 16 i mean it's just something it just doesn't sit right and their chemistry is not good and the dialogue that they're given is not good and that's a problem for me yeah so so is this in um in 2022 is this a recommendable star wars movie Mm, wow it's a loaded question i know well it's not a loaded question it's a great question but it's it's tough because there's so many layers to that i guess it depends on who i'm recommending it to and and what the the person that i'm recommending it to what they know about the star wars universe but i mean ultimately um you know, I it, I hate to say this, but probably not. No, I, I don't know. It's not a terrible movie. It really isn't. It, it's gotten a lot of shit, mostly because of Jar Jar. And we're going to scale back on Jar Jar a lot in the future. You know, it's, it's not a terrible movie. But the things that I liked about it when I saw it in 1999 were clearly things that I liked about just being in a new Star Wars movie. It wasn't enough to continue the legacy in a way that I thought really mattered. And so, yeah, ultimately it was just the, it was the flashiness of having a new star Wars movie and the excitement around that, but it, it, they could have done a lot better. They did not have to muddy this thing up with all this political trade Federation bullshit. They could have just told a Jedi Sith flavored story uh, you know, and, and still gotten Palpatine to power without having to go through all the yeah. boring rigmarole. Yeah, I, I really, I really think that's where this movie falls down. Right, it, it falls down. You know, it, you've got the midichlorian stuff, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You've got the Trade Federation political stuff, which it, it makes sense, but nobody cares about. You've got a a, a, a prepubescent Anakin Skywalker which which in retrospect is really fucking creepy in terms of a relationship with with Padme right but at the, but then at the same time you've got some amazing stuff here you've got arguably the art the best saber fight of the entire saga yes yes you've got arguably two of the or a couple of the you know top I don't know top 10 characters of the entire prequel trilogy or maybe even the saga in Qui-Gon and Darth Maul. You've got the rise, arguably, of uh, of Palpatine. It might be a little bit clunky along the way. You've got the the, the kind of the fall or the the fall from grace of the Jedi. And I, I don't know that I necessarily would have made them fall, but it's an interesting concept, right? Sure. They're, they're no longer, quote, perfect. Yeah, th- th- this is an interesting one. I, th- I think for a for a non-Star, th- this probably would play better for a non-Star Wars fan than it would for a Star Wars fan, it if that might. makes any sense. It, it might, but I feel like the acting and the delivery of the dialogue feels so stilted for both Natalie Portman and Jake Lloyd. 
that I think people are going to watch this if they're not huge Star Wars fans and think, yeah, this just feels awkward. It feels like a B movie with the best special effects you've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're probably right. I don't know if, if I'm looking to like, would I recommend this? But it, it's it's not the it's not the worst Star Wars movie. No, no, it's we're going to get there very soon. It's not actually, I, you know, it, it's funny because there was a day that I would have told you that this is the worst Star Wars movie. Oh, yeah. and it's absolutely not. Yeah, it is absolutely not. And uh, again, I don't know that ne- that necessarily makes it recommendable, but it's not the worst. No, it doesn't I, I, I deserve the hate. I think we're getting gets. there. In, in we haven't talked about it, but I think we're getting there in pretty short order here. All of that being said, you cannot underestimate the historical significance of the Phantom Menace. And again, we touched on it at the beginning of the podcast. We we went fifteen years without th- thinking we were never again because again this was before lucasfilm was purchased by disney yep like like there there was no more star it was done there was no more star wars for sure i don't even i don't even think there was any like was there even action figures i don't know that there was any even even any action figures on the shelves like Mm -hmm. star wars was done like I, i we we would see star wars on christmas day they would show it on tnt that was about it. Yeah. There was no Disney Plus. There was like none of this stuff. No animated series. No, no, none of this stuff. So I cannot underestimate the importance of the Phantom Menace in the Star Wars saga and Star Wars lore in terms of what it did. Because it, it essentially, you could probably make the argument that the Phantom Menace led to Disney purchasing the Star Wars saga. You can make that argument. Absolutely fair. That is a very, very fair argument because at that point, Star Wars content was completely archival, right? It was, it was all. Yeah. It was uh, dead. 1983. Nothing had happened since then. Yes. There were, there were novelizations, there were extended universe books and things like that. Some of them, but very few of them authorized by Lucas was the Thrawn trilogy before this? It was before this. That was before. It was. The Zahn stuff was yes. before this. And I think, but it, but that it's, was college. it's sort of kludgy to know what was approved by Lucas and what was not and all of that. Most of that stuff was not. Here's an interesting question, though. Would it have made more sense to put the sequel trilogy in 1999 and then waited and then gone back to tell the prequel trilogy in 2015. So it's interesting you say that because I had this in my notes. I think this was the first time we ever had a prequel anything, wasn't it? I, I can't recall another uh, prequel I, anything. I don't, uh, it can't be the first time, but it, it's definitely the biggest to this point. I mean, I mean, in history I mean, for sure theoretically temple of doom was a prequel to raiders of the lost ark but yeah, nobody even knows that kind of sort of that's only because they changed the date you wouldn't know it there, right that's, there's that's no what I'm reason saying. to assume it was a prequel otherwise i mean i mean the, the the concept the idea of a prequel did not exist i don't think in the it, at least in the terms of the lexicon of moviegoers didn't exist before this movie i don't i don't think i, I would have to go back and research i really don't think it did to answer your question specifically, I, well, let me let me ask you a follow up question to that. 
So you're asking, would I would I have preferred the sequel trilogy in 1999 and then the prequel trilogy in 2000 and whatever? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. I mean, would it have made more sense to do the sequel trilogy before the prequel trilogy? I, I think in retrospect, it probably would have, especially based on what we got. I guess the big problem that the prequel trilogy created was it ruined one of the greatest spoilers in movie history, right? Like if you were, if you were to sit down and my, and my wife and I did this after the fact. So my, my wife had married me and never had seen a star Wars movie ever. And so I said, okay, well, we're going to sit down. We're going to watch the, the, um, we were actually watching them in preparation for The Force Awakens. So we watched them in not release order, but we watched them in chronological order. So we started with episode one. If you watch them in that order, the greatest spoiler in movie history, no, I am your father, is spoiled in fucking episode one. Yeah. Now, would would uh, would releasing the sequel trilogy before the prequel fix that? No, it, it well, I guess it would. I don't I, I don't know. I, I think I guess I was thinking of it from the perspective of our actors are younger. Perhaps we could have told better stories. You know, perhaps we could have had Luke and Han and Leia all actively in their adventures together. I mean, do I think that George Lucas could have done that? on his own, like he apparently tried to do with this prequel trilogy? Here, Absolutely here, I, not. I, I guess he, here, here's here's what I will say. And I, and I don't know that this necessarily answers your question, but I will say that, and again, we're, we're, only, we're, at the be, we're at the end of the first of three prequel trilogy podcasts. I still feel that the prequel trilogy is less than the sequel trilogy. Agreed. For sure, but not because, uh, only because and it failed from an execution standpoint. I think it, conceptually, it, it should have been better. It, it it should have been well, but 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 should it? Because because a, I guess in theory, a prequel just kind of by definition should be less than the OG and should be less than the sequel. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a fair point because the stakes are less because you know exactly right. who's you not going right. to die. You know, you know, Obi-Wan's going to make right. it through the whole trilogy. You know that Luke and Leia are going to come from somewhere. You know, Anakin is going to descend into madness and all of right. that stuff. But I don't think necessarily knowing all that stuff means that it wouldn't have been better, but it's an interesting argument. I think yeah. that uh, I, I kind of wish that they would have tackled the sequel trilogy first, but if it, if the quality of the sequel trilogy would have been to the same level of what the prequel trilogy was, then I guess I'm glad that they didn't yeah, as much no, as I, I wanted to see Han Solo younger. And I wanted to see Carrie Fisher younger and Mark Hamill younger in a way that they could all, you know, band together to do one final mission or do something fun that would have been great. And that would have been much better served in the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. But I don't think, you know, George Lucas wrote and directed all three of these prequel movies that we're going to talk about. And I think that's going to be the biggest fucking problem with all of these movies. Well, I, I, th I, I think you're right. Yeah. I, I think you're right. A hundred percent that, that 
George is kind of stuck in his in his version of the Star Wars universe, which is fine. It's his fucking universe. Sure. But I'm not sure that that's necessarily what we wanted, I guess. And you said something there that was really interesting to me. I'm not sure that the technology was ready to do no. what we wanted in 1999. Cause I think what we would have wanted from a sequel trilogy would have been a de-aged Han Solo, a de-aged, you know, I, I, I don't know that we were ready for that. I don't, I don't know that the technology was ready for that. That's so, fair. Yeah. So kind of as, as we, as we march towards the end here, what's, what's the best thing about the Phantom Menace? One thing. The best thing about the Phantom Menace for me was probably the new characters that they introduced, which you had kind of already alluded to. It's Qui-Gon and it's Darth Maul. I think that those characters are the most interesting additions, I guess, to the Star Wars universe. I will say that Ewan McGregor is Obi-Wan Kenobi. I don't think he shines quite enough yet in this movie, but he's going to end up being the most important part of this entire three movie saga yeah and we're gonna get there but yes i i think for this movie in in its own isolated little bubble uh, qui-gon is is great and darth maul is great and i wanted more of those and i wanted those both to continue throughout the the series and unfortunately they didn't yeah i i would agree with that i think i the answer for me would have been Qui-Gon. And again, that's, that's not taking anything away from Ray Park. I I loved Liam Neeson here. I love Qui-Gon here. And, and I will reiterate what you said. Ewan McGregor is the best, but like far and away, the best part of the prequel trilogy. Like there's hands down. He, he, he's the one that cares to be there clearly. And it's, and it's, it's more obvious in the, in the second and third movies. Qui-Gon and Darth Maul are clearly the best things of this movie. And the fact that they're both dead at the end of this movie really bums me out. <laughs> but I think that's but 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 I think that's pretty representative of this movie. Right. I think I think that's kind of the, yeah. the the perfect the perfect bow of this movie. The best things of this movie are dead at the end of it. I will say a very close second, in my opinion, to you and McGregor is Ian McDermott. Because as much as I don't really love so the good. way that they write Palpatine, I love the way that Ian McDermott plays Palpatine. He does such a good job. He is spot on in every single scene. And when I see him outside of his makeup, I start to get really, really excited because mm-hmm. I know what's coming with this actor and this character. And I'm, you know, it, I'm not sure yeah. what has happening with Darsidious and with the uh you know the chancellor role and all of that stuff but i'm jazzed because i know where this is going and ian mcdermott is you know i we talked about this in the uh, rise of skywalker yeah he's my favorite part of that movie he does so well in that movie and i'm just excited that he's back because the emperor has always been one of my favorite characters. And I love that they bring him in from the get-go and that they're going to create a pretty significant character arc for him specifically. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I was I was just going to say that you're right. I mean, we, we, we went out of our way during our Rise of Skywalker podcast to talk about how awesome Ian McDermott was, right? And I think you're right. And I think it just kind of goes to show 
what an awesome actor this guy is, right? I mean, he like w- whether he's got a bit part, whether he's a hologram, whether he's two characters, one character, what have you, he he's he's pretty outstanding. Mm-hmm. And again, I I remember very vividly coming out of this movie going like, oh shit, like is it the same guy? Is it, is it two guys? Is it, is it a clone? Is it who yeah. knows? And I was I was really really excited about what would become attack of the clones do you you remember kind of as a wrap-up here do you remember kind of how you were feeling coming out of this movie were you excited were you trepidatious were you like do you remember yeah i was very excited and i think one of the things just to go back to ian mcdermott and and palpatine one of the things that i was most excited about is to see where that was going and i don't think that they intentionally tried to focus on that piece of it as much but we all know where anakin skywalker is going it was just a matter of time and and storytelling but to kind of figure out what was happening with palpatine as much as i've sort of shit on the whole political discourse of what they did with the first movie they still to some degree made me interested in Palpatine's journey as part of this because we knew that Palpatine was going to be a key part in turning Anakin into Darth Vader so I was most interested to figure out okay they've got this they've got Ian McDermott as as a senator and they've got him well I guess chancellor specifically and they've also got him as this Sith Lord how are they going to combine these two where is this going to go how are they going to merge these worlds that's what I was really the most interested in and going into attack of the clones. I was super fired up. I was very excited. Yeah. I, I was right there with you. I, I came out of this watching this movie kind of going, Holy shit. What just happened? Yeah. There was some stuff that I didn't quite understand. Yeah. The midichlorian thing didn't quite make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. There's some politics here, but Holy shit. We've got, this guy that I know, we've got Palpatine. Yeah. Holy shit. We've got Obi-Wan. I know where he's going. Oh my God. I, I've got Anakin. I know where he's going. You know what I mean? Like yeah. so there, was, there was kind of, there was enough, there was enough through lines that I understood kind of where we were going. Yeah. So. I was able to forgive it for its flaws right. at the time because I knew where we were going and I just right. couldn't wait to get there. Right. So, all right. So on that note, we're done with the Phantom Menace. That was uh, that was a good one. It was long, but it was good. It, it wasn't was. as painful as I thought it could no, have possibly no, I, been. I, I, I don't. So, uh, so like, what do you think? Like it, overall, everything. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs in the middle. I think overall, okay. I think okay. it's okay. I'm all right with it existing. I, it's not going to be something that I revisit, but it's also not going to be something I'm going to go on a message board and talk shit about. I think okay. it's fine. Yeah. It was the, to your point, it was the catalyst to reinvigorate Star Wars in the cinema world. And I think that in itself, it was absolutely 100% worth being made. Do I agree with all the story choices? No, absolutely not. And and we're definitely going to talk a lot about where things go from here and, and how we feel about that. But yeah, I'm just, I'm glad it hit the screen. I'm glad you and I had a chance to see a new Star Wars movie together uh, in the in the theaters and it was exciting and uh, yeah overall I'd say thumbs in the middle in the sense that you know it's it's not going to be infinitely rewatchable but I'm glad it exists it 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 fits in the universe that that is fair and you I yeah I, I think if I had to do binary kind of one or zero up or down I would go up 
only because again, with, with all of the hype coming into it and just the fact that it was the first brand new star Wars content that we had seen in 16 years, yeah. it was like whole, you know, to be, to be fair, it probably got some goodwill from that. Right. And, and, oh, and, a ton. and it, right. And, and <laughs> it remarks. made me kind of, it, it made me forgive some of the bullshit, but yeah, I was coming out, coming out of this. I was very excited and I was really looking forward to, what would become the attack of the clones. Right. And so I think it's probably fair to say that our next podcast is going to be a deep dive review of attack of the clones. I think we should, I'm not going to spoil my review of that, but I'll tell you right now, it's, I'm not a huge fan of attack of the clones. It'll be interesting because (laughs) I have not watched this movie in a very long time. Okay. I much like you, I don't have great memories of it, but I'm interested to uh, review it and re-review it and see if anything sort of stands out from a story perspective or how that all works. I'm a little worried about where it's going to go, but ultimately uh, it's going to lead us towards revenge of the Sith, which is the, climax of this prequel trilogy and you know we'll we'll see where that goes but i i'm excited to dive in and whether we give it some credit or whether we just talk a bunch of shit about it (laughs) whatever happens it's gonna be a blast all right well on that note thank you very much mr pip for joining me this was an amazing discussion i can't even tell you how much i appreciate not only this discussion but our friendship love you brother uh this has been the 411 from 406. My name is Chewy, and I've been joined once again by Pip. Thank you, folks. Have a good evening. Love you back. Adios. Adios.